All right, we're talking about a most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world. Let's turn our Bibles to uh, John chapter 3. Um, I'm going to talk about God so loved. So as you're turning there, Pastor Charles Swindoll, no, Char, sorry, Charles Spurgeon, another Charles, he was known as the Prince of Preachers. Yeah, curious thing, he got, um, every Monday, he had what he called fainting fits. He had depression every Monday, uh, just thinking, I should have said this, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, just c encouraging that such a man of faith would have such everyday problems. Anyway, he once said this, uh, if we were uh, asked to read to a dying man who did not know the gospel, we should probably select this chapter as the most suitable for such an occasion. And what is good for dying men is good for us all, for that's what we are. We're all dying. And how soon we may be actually at the gates of death, none of us can tell. So it's, in other words, be ready. Like Billy Graham once said, no man is prepared to live until he's first prepared to die. So today we're talking about this, God so loved the world. And I have this problem because I seriously doubt that anybody really knows this scripture. Uh, so yesterday, I had the privilege of driving around three teenagers uh, in my truck. One of them's getting a brand new surfboard. Uh, Mom and dad were out our island doing a great thing, a great job. Uh, but so I got uh, asked to be part of this uh, delivery. And so we're driving around the Haleiwa uh, getting this board. And I asked the three teen girls, hey, do you know John 3.16? And I am not kidding. Boom! For God so loved the world. In unison, not quite volume 10, I'd say a 9.5. And they just said it so well. And I go, okay, so you know, how much did God love the world? Because that's the emphasis. God so loved the world. So I asked the one, well, your dad, your mom and dad have five girls, one boy. Would your dad give up your younger brother to an angry crowd who would mutilate him and kill him, knowing that most of them would reject him? There's no way. So how much did God love the world? See, I, I don't think any of us really know how much God loved the world. But we're going to read about it. We're going to start with this guy named Nicodemus. So I'm reading for the New King James Bible, chapter 3 of John. Just two, two verses to begin with. There was a man of the Pharisees. We need to know what that means. His name was Nicodemus. He was also a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you're a teacher and that you come from God. For no one can do these signs that, that you do unless God is with him. So here's the four things we know about Nicodemus. Number one, he was a Pharisee. What does that mean? There's 400 years from the end of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, there was 400 years of no scriptures, no fresh scripture, to the beginning of Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament when John the Baptist shows up. So there, in these 400 years, I don't know how you maintain a zeal and a love and a passion for God without kind of growing cold. And so the Pharisees were established as this group in the beginning to just be, hey, let's 
maintain our zeal for the Lord and let's keep every, every other, every guy sharp and as iron sharpens iron, we're gonna sharpen each other and it started off so good. But after 400 years, they were just a bunch of rule keepers. They were so legalistic, it was hard to be around them. And here, Nicodemus was one of them. So he, we know he had a passion for God, but he seemed to have a better understanding than your other Pharisees who just wanted to keep a bunch of rules and, and make sure everybody else knew they weren't keeping them. I like in First Peter, actually 2 Peter 3.18, one of my favorite verses, the last thing Peter wrote, you know how last things are kind of important? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be both the glory and the honor, both now and forever. Amen. So the idea is you want to grow. Can you grow in grace first? Otherwise, you might be the next Pharisee. See, to be called a Pharisee today is never good. It's always you're being legalistic. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells around you. It's not comfortable. So first he was a, a, a Pharisee, and it's always sad to see when someone started so nice with the Lord and on fire and in love and ends up, they think, keeping a bunch of rules is what it's all about. He's also a ruler of the Jews. So he's used to walking down the street and receiving respect wherever he goes. He's used to people coming up to him and asking advice. Would you give me your counsel? What am I supposed to do? He's a ruler. I think people liked him. And so, but in this case, he's coming to Jesus, and we think Jesus is probably half his age. Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. We know he's 30 years old. And if you see the chosen, in their rendition of this, Nicodemus had to be 60-something, at least twice as old. So that's gospel truth, right? I mean, I love their rendition. It's so good. But what happened and what, what we see here is that the counselor needed counseling. He said, I'm used to people coming to me, but you know what? Jesus, I think I need to learn from you. He calls him rabbi. He calls him teacher. We also know that he came to Jesus at night, meaning what will my friends think? Maybe you're one like that, or maybe you have friends like that. I've had people say, yeah, I'd come to Jesus, but what would my friends think? And I go, what kind of friends do you have? Don't you have friends who just love you and want God's best for you? That's kind of what we're looking for. But people who are so afraid of what their friends would do, seriously, you'd st stay out of eternity in heaven because of your friends? We were once doing the River of Life. It's an outreach downtown. And uh, I was given the message that night, and I was at the end looking for commitment and asking for, hey, if this sounds like something you want to do, you want to commit your life to Christ, could you just raise your hand? There's a couple in the back corner, and the girl's trying to raise her hand, and the boyfriend's pulling her arm down. No, no, don't go to Jesus. Stay with me. So here he is, oh, I go, I go by night because I'm not sure what my friends would think. And fourth is he has this heart-to-heart -heart talk. I think here's his big shot. He's used to the attention. He's used to the respect. And you can kind of get drunk on that. You can go, yeah, I get respect wherever I go. But Jesus, who am I kidding? And he says, we 
So he's talked about it with his friends. We know you're teaching. No one can do these signs that you do unless you're from God. So you go, okay, um, what, what signs are you talking about? We're in chapter three. We're at the beginning of chapter three. The first, first sign was they turned the water into wine. Remember that? Was that the, the wedding? Mary comes up, they're out, of water, they're out of wine. So? And she turned to those servants, whatever he says, do it. Best advice in the Bible. Whatever Jesus tells you, just do it. And we talked about those guys when he said, okay, see those purification? 20 gallons, 80 gallons, whatever, they're huge. Fill it to the brim. Don't allow anything else in there. No food coloring, no, you know, content of wine. Or just fill it with water. Then scoop some out and take it to the head guy. Think of that in contrast to how people do miracles on TV with the heavy drama and the organ music and the reverb and yeah, none of that. Nobody even knows what's going on. He tells her, hey, hey guys, take some water up to him. And so they're thinking, they're going like, what am I doing? All I know, I'm doing what Mary said, or whatever he says do. And you're walking and you're getting closer. See, the guy's as close as Lynn here. And he's going, it's still water. And you're getting closer. And you're extending this thing to the, the, the master. And, it, and it's like, what am I, this is stupid. And it turns into wine. The guy tasted, he has no idea where it came from. Where'd you get this stuff? This is the best. That was the first miracle Jesus ever did. Blessing a wedding. How cool is that? With his presence, with his provision. Oh, he has great plans for weddings, for marriages. So the second thing is he cleansed the temple. Now what's interesting, he did this twice in his ministry. Once in the beginning and once at the end. So last week, Fulton covered the one in the beginning. Jesus goes to church. He goes to temple, sees what's going on, how they're ripping people off. What once was kind of convenient. Yeah, listen, you live 60 miles away. Don't bring a goat 60 miles. You'll lose too much weight. It's too much hassle. Just sell your goat up there in Dan. Come 60 miles and buy your goat down here. And so we just make it convenient for you. You get your goat. God gets the sacrifice. Everybody's happy. Except that they started gouging people and, and making a, a, a killing on this. And then they changed. Oh, we only accept temple shekel. Sorry. So give me 50 bucks. I'll give you 20. And Jesus sees this stuff going on. And he just makes a whip, starts whipping, starts cleaning house turning over tables. Would you go to, G to, to church with Jesus after that? What's he going to do? I'd look around. Is there any, any money changers? <laughs> Anybody selling goats? And then you think, you know, when Jesus did that, and he, zeal for my father's house has consumed me. Now you might be thinking, okay, <laughs> what Jesus just did is scare people away. He's scaring people from coming to Jesus. Not Nicodemus. I have a theory why. I think Nicodemus is going, finally. Finally, someone had the moxie to attack the system. This is, this, it's disgusting what's going on, but it's so political and it's my friends involved. I didn't know what to say or do, but finally, who is this guy? 
God was with him when he made that whip. God was with him when he cleared the temple. And yet three years later, they do the same thing. How does that work? Creeps back in, doesn't it? What, every sin you did three years ago is long, long gone? It creeps back in. Kind of resurrects. So then we go to Jesus answers him. I mean, we left off in verse 2. No one does the things you do unless God is with them. And Jesus goes, you must be born again. What? Where did that come from? So in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, to Nicodemus, most assuredly, I, I say to you, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, how can, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water. Now he's answering, what does he mean by being born again a second time? Unless he's born of water, that's the first, the natural birth and the spirit, the second one, he cannot be uh, entered the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, this illustration is fascinating. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. And it's kind of like, so is everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, well, how can these things be? And Jesus kind of chides him. A little soft rebuke here. Wait, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? No, kind of like, seriously? You don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen. And you don't receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how are you going to believe when I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven but him who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who sits in heaven. Now, big section. He's saying you, did you notice it says must? You must be born again? So he, he says, well, how does that happen? So first is you're born of water. Any mom can tell you the water sack. Hey, I lost, broke my, my water broke. So uh, uh, around the, the newborn before it's born. And this is the natural birth. But then he refers to a supernatural birth. He talks about being born again. And then that would be born of the spirit. That's the spiritual birth. When Adam was warned not to eat that fruit, God said, look, the day you eat that, you're going to die. Well, if you read the Genesis account, they ate the fruit. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. Their fellowship with God, which they once enjoyed and took for granted, all of a sudden is gone. And they were like, I hate this feeling. What's going on? Let's cover up. Let's, let's, let's hide from God, not enjoy God, not run to God. There he comes. Let's get out of here. And he said, yeah, your, your, your fellowship with God, your spiritual connection with God died because of sin. That needs to be born again. So now when a person's born physically, they have a spirit that's basically dormant, if you will. It needs to be quickened, regenerated is the biblical term. Born again, brought to life by the Holy Spirit. 
It's only, only something that God's Spirit can do. But notice again, it says you must be born again. I was in church for 17 years before I even heard this term born again. And when I heard it's an ultimatum, it's not a suggestion, I was mad. How did, how did I serve as an altar boy? How did I go to the school? How did I get, I never hear you must. I mean, that sounds kind of important to me. I was bummed. No one told me this. Doesn't anybody care enough to kind of make some waves and say you must be born again to even see the kingdom of heaven? So it's not an option. But what you're gonna meet with is all these, oh, but I'm such a good person. You ever have that? You ever yeah, kind of stumble for words? Okay, huh? Now, I'm not trying to insult this person. I'm not trying to destroy them and build a gap. I'm trying to build a bridge. And yet I'm trying to be faithful to my Lord. Jesus, what would you say if you were speaking to this person? How would you answer that? But I'm such a good person. I help clean up you know, the beach, and I give money to the zoo, and I, oh, all those things are nice. But they're not gonna get you into heaven. They're, they might be recommended, but they're not gonna get you into heaven. Matter of fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus points out, many are gonna go to hell. And many are gonna say, Lord, Lord, this term of endearment, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Yeah, he doesn't deny that. Didn't, didn't we prophesy in your name? Yeah, you did. did. Didn't we do miracles? Yeah, there's no denying. You did a lot of good things, except you never departed from your sin. You never took sin. See, what the cross does is tell us how seriously God takes sin enough to send his only son. All right, so oh, well, we did a lot of good things, but you never departed from sin. And so you must be born again. That's why the gospel is so offensive. You can't do it. You're never good enough. I'm never good enough. That's why Jesus was sent. So Nicodemus answers, this is classic, what we call a carnal way or a natural way or a unspiritual way, if you will. Am I supposed to crawl back inside my mom? Now, this is what happens with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 explains this. All right? The natural man, the unregenerated, unregenerated, unborn again, if you will, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. That sounds stupid. Neither, notice this, neither can he receive them. He cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. He's going, what are you talking about? Here's natural Nicodemus, not, not born again yet. Jesus is talking about being born again. What are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense to me. Am I supposed to crawl back up in my mom? No, 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 no. See, if these things sound nonsensical to you, if they sound foolish to you, it might be you're not born again. It might be that if you stood before God this morning, you'd be going, hey, I did a lot of good things. And he might not argue with any of them, except were you born again? Were you forgiven by the grace of God? Now, I love this. Jesus explains it with this illustration of the wind. 
You know the wind, you just never know where it's coming from, where it's moving. I have a wife, and it sounds like I got tons of them. I have one wife, and, and we'll be drinking coffee in the morning, watching the news, and, and suppose a hurricane's coming, or a typhoon in the Philippines, and she, every time, where's a hurricane come from? Well, everyone knows it's the high pressure and the low pressure in the west and the north. She goes, thanks. And she's good. That makes no sense at all. The, the idea is we can't tell. We can track them. But if they were predictable, let's predict the next 50 years of hurricanes. It's not. The wind goes where it wants. And he goes, the Holy Spirit's like that. And so out of nowhere, he might be resting on you this morning. Or he might be on this side of the gym right now, just moving, just like the wind. That's his illustration here. And so here's how he brings people to Christ. He convicts us of sin. I don't like that word. But without conviction, if you try to bury your conscience, you end up on the wrong side. If you try to drown out the Holy Spirit, that doesn't help. He's trying to draw me to Jesus Christ. Now, what's these two extremes? On one extreme, you have the rich young ruler. Now, in today's terms, he would come to Jesus and go, okay, look, man, I got the car, I got the bank account, I got the likes on social media, I'm a happening dude. I go to church, I keep all the commandments. What's missing? This guy was squeaky clean. This guy, you want your daughter married to him, you know? And he's there, Lord, what is missing? Something's, there's a vacuum, there's a void. What is it? And of course, Jesus pointed it out. He didn't like what he heard, and he went away sad. Then on the other extreme, you have this guy, Jacob. Oh, my goodness. This is in Genesis 28. Jacob was... He's not the kind of guy you want as a friend. Jacob thought he had blown it so badly that God wanted nothing to do with him. He'd be the kind of guy that looks at the stars at night and, and talk about Psalm 8. Lord, when I look at everything, everything you made, <laughs> what is man? What is, why are we so significant? I, I look at your creation. I feel you're far away from me. I, I feel, oh, Psalm 61. Hear my cry, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I cry to you. Lead me to the rock that's higher. I cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. He's saying, I feel like I'm on this side of the earth. You're not on the other side of the earth. You're on the other side of heaven. I wish I could cry loud enough. But God, I, I know you have more for me. I know you have. I just don't know how to get there. Could you lead me? And God would answer, are you leadable? And so here's Jacob. Deceived his own dad. Cheated his own brother. He can't trust mom because they entered a pack of deception together. So now he's literally running for his life. He's using a rock for a pillow and he hits sound asleep. Dude, you must be tired if you use a rock for a pillow and sleep. And he had the Jacob's ladder. Saw angels going up and down this ladder to heaven. And God was at the top. And he woke up and, wow, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a cheat, deceiver, a liar. But God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. 
See, the spirit was moving, was moving on his heart. Rich young ruler, one extreme, Jacob, the other extreme. God was moving. Now, the spirit was moving in the life of Nicodemus in chapter 3. Nicodemus didn't know it. That's the thing. So let's read the example of Moses and the snakes. If you don't like snakes, you're going to get creeped out. It's pretty simple. So we begin in verse 14. And Moses, or as Moses lifted up the, the serpent. So he's using an illustration. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then the famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him should not perish, not go to hell, but have everlasting life. God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. All right, now this is what's going on. Example of Moses and the snakes. God had removed his protection in Egypt, or as they left Egypt going up the Sinai Peninsula and eventually would cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land there were snakes always. They were always there. I'm going to show you some of them. They're creepy. But God had protected them up until now. Now, what happened in Numbers 21 is their soul became very discouraged on the way. To get the picture right, they're following God. God's moving miraculously in their lives. They were radically delivered from Egypt, from slavery. They had manna every day. So miraculous provision, guidance by God himself, and they're going to the promised land and they get discouraged. Does that ever sound like you? I mean, it's not like, well, I've been backslidden ever since. You know, it's, no, 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 they're following God. They're in his will. They're just getting really discouraged. Now, what's important at times like that, Proverbs 4 says, watch over your soul with all diligence. For out of it from flow the rivers of life. Just the rivers of life. I, I've heard my wife counsel. It was one of my daughters, my granddaughters. <laughs> Just which one, I don't know. I've heard her say it repeatedly. Um, okay, you're struggling with that person? What are you thinking about that? Oh, nothing good. Do you know that your thoughts are affecting your emotions? You know that somehow God tied those two together? And so if you're thinking all these bitter things, angry things, it's affecting your emotions. And, and so with them, they began to complain. They would find fault, this lousy manna. Are you serious? Yeah, that's all you had, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 40 years. Come on, I don't care if it's prime rib. It's lousy after a while. And they find fault with what God, his miraculous provision. And as they're having this stinking thinking, it would reinforce feeling so discouraged. So God had to get their attention. So he removed their protection. Now here's some snakes of the Sinai Peninsula where they are. This one is the horned viper. Notice how easily he blends in with the sand. 
So when you hear they're in the wilderness, that's not a wooded area, it's a desert. So you could easily be walking along the sand and what was that? Here, I call him the thick-headed viper. Uh, don't call your husband that, but just, just for some people, he's just, and here's a black viper, here is a who can I bite next viper. The guys, they were always there. God miraculously kept them away from the Jews. But now, and oh man, I met with Danny and Fulton recently. Oh, how can we really emphasize this part of the sermon? Because we don't have snakes here. And I thought, could we import some snakes from the Sinai Peninsula and kind of put them in cages and then let them go at this part of the sermon? And of course we can't do that. That's stupid, but it's my scary brain. Just like, you've suddenly realized this is not words in a book. This is reality to these people. These snakes are everywhere. You're in a tent. Vipers get in a tent. You go potty in the bushes. Vipers go in the bushes. You go walk in the sand, they're there. So they're, they're not only everywhere, they're biting people and people are dying. And all of a sudden you realize, my goodness, the intensity is volume 10. The, the panic is volume 10. The anger at Moses is volume 10. Do something now. Can you imagine holding your kid? Okay, we got like half hour, what are you gonna do? And he said, well, God says it just He's going to hold up a bronze snake on a pole. And God says to look at that. Just look at it, believe, and you'll be healed. You can argue with that. You, like, that's going to do anything. We need a vaccine. We need this or that. We need to get out of the sun. Whatever. Look on God's Provision. So what's interesting, he removed his protection from snakes. I've seen God remove his protection from demonic warfare. We had a gal come to Easter sunrise years ago when we were still at Waimea Bay. A couple were bringing her, and as they rounded uh, this side of the bay, they rounded and were heading down toward the bay. They saw the big tent for us and the big tent for the keiki. She starts throwing up violently. She had things floating around her room. She had started innocently, but kind of got drugged into this crazy fear thing. I talked to another guy. We prayed for her that day. We met with him after. Uh, there was a guy. I was counseling him. Strapping young surfer. Strapping. I, I fear, volume 10. He's sleeping inside a closet. Just, just, you know, curl up and I go, do you think the closet doors are protecting you from demons? Yeah. No, Jesus can protect you from demons. He's removed your protection to get your attention. And that's what happened here. Removed his protection to get their attention. He offers one solution. Look at the snake. Look at the snake. You'll be cured. So he's saying in the same way, that in the Old Testament is a picture of what God's doing in the New Testament. He, his son was judged on a pole, if you will. Look to him, believe on him, and you will be cleansed. See, the snake represents the devil, sin. The snake bite represents the poison 
the effect of sin. The day you eat thereof, you'll die. Looking on that snake, looking on Jesus Christ represents getting healed from that horrible situation. We call it the exchange at the cross. Here it is in 2 Corinthians 5. When he, made, when, when God made him, Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So the exchange. Mike, you're a dirty, rotten animal. God's going to give you the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the exchange. Whenever I say that, I think it sounds sacrilegious. Wait. You're saying I'm just as righteous as Christ? I'm saying more than that. If you're not just as righteous as Christ, you're not going to go to heaven. So it's not that you're going to earn it on yourself. You receive it from him. It's the exchange that happens at the cross. So here's the breakdown of John 3.16. For God. Well, well that's the, the giver. So loved, there's his motive. Love. I love asking people, does God love you? Why do you think that? So that was brought up. I wasn't I thought he was ready to squish me. Karen was brought up in a much, much healthier environment. Yeah, of course God loves me. I was amazed. So God so loved the world, that's the recipient, the object of his love. I'm sorry, the object. That he gave, there's the gift of his love. His son, or his son, that whosoever, there's the recipient. It doesn't say whosoever except you. The devil would say that. Whosoever except you because you've done this, or whosoever, you know, you fill in the blank. No, no, anybody. There's a, a group on the mainland called the whosoever's. I love talking with them. They're really cool. Here's the thing. You just believe. That's how to receive. So here's the illustration. See, remember that? Remember the snake and the old son? They're bit by kind of sin, had poison, kind of resulting in death. They just look on what God had judged on that cross and they're cleansed in the same way. You look at Christ. We've been bitten by this, this, the sin. We have poison of death in us as a result. The only way to be cleansed is by Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the good news here. John 3.16 comes with a promise. Anybody see what it was? Eternal life. See, there are some religions that teach, oh yeah, if you believe in Jesus, you'll have eternal life. Meaning, now you'll live forever. No, no, don't buy that. It's now you'll live forever in heaven with Jesus. But they don't determine, oh, eternal life means now you'll live forever. We don't know in heaven or hell. No, that's not good news. We're, you're going to live forever, one of two places. The promise is you'll live forever with him in heaven. So we're going to end on this part, real brief. The light has come. So we begin in verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. You won't go to hell. He who does not believe is condemned already. <laughs> well, I'm going to explain it to God when I get there. No, it's already over. It's already been decided. Because he didn't believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, as, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. It doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But 
he who does the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God now very simple explanation the lights come into the world some people hate the light actually the majority of people hate the light because it exposes sin so if I'm cheating on my wife which I'm happy to say I'm not I don't want to come to the light I don't want you to know about that if I'm hooked on pornography I don't want you to know that if I'm two-faced if I'm a murderer if I'm a liar if I'm a cheater I don't want you to know that I'm not coming to the light and so you see the light uh, I'm, I'm good I'll just stay here but if I'm walking in the light if I'm walking in truth I'm not afraid of the light yeah I, I've, I've been covered I've been forgiven I'm now walking in the light as Jesus is in the light and that's how I have fellowship one with another now the end result said <laughs> so, well if you believe you have heaven if you don't believe you have hell you know that you might go what are you one way exactly I didn't say it I'm not gonna deny it I have this little cliche I didn't write the Bible I'm not gonna rewrite it there's one way we'll get to it later in, in John 14 he's the way the truth and the light but here's my question to you we had I don't know if Scott is here we had a guy sleeping out in the foyer last night and I woke him up this morning and started sharing with him and I said hey you're in the right place we want you in church if you had died last night where would you be right now now he had his answer but maybe you have yours if there's any hint of a question mark that's not good for me I, <laughs> maybe you have a hundred years in this life that's nothing compared to eternity so if you had died last night you'd face God and according to Jesus if you believed in him you're in if you didn't you're out it's very simple it's not like yeah but I did a lot of good things hey great but that's not going to get you into heaven so here's the deal what draws people to Jesus remember we talked about the rich young ruler I got the car the bank account the likes what's missing you know what's interesting Jesus told him exactly he didn't like it so he walked away and so for some people who say what's missing it's Jesus take a knee bow down no I'm not gonna submit to him well that's what's missing and so great you keep up the facade that you're happy and stoked on the outside and yet what you end up in the wrong place so we have the rich young ruler I've done it all I go to church I keep the commandments remember all these things I've done since my youth what's missing a relationship with Jesus and then on the other extreme you have Jacob oh gosh he messed up he just he was he had an A plus in ruining relationships my dad yeah he hates my guts my brother is trying to kill me my mom I can't trust her and he thought he reached a place where not even God would reach him. And, and so there in, in chapter 28 of Genesis, 
surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. Yeah, he is in there drawing Jacob to himself. And, and maybe you're going, I, I cannot relate to the rich young ruler, but Jacob is my middle name. Do you understand as the wind blows? You're here. You're kind of in the right place. And here's the Lord just drawing you to himself, saying, yeah, it's great to admit all those things. So for Jacob to go, yeah, I'm a cheat. I'm a liar. I can't be trusted. That's called confession. I heard this thing the other day. I just loved it. It goes with 1 John. We're studying this in our Ohana groups. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it starts with that, if we confess. See, the Bible goes, um, if, I if I hide my sin, I'm not going to prosper. I'm not going to go any further. If I confess and forsake it, I'll find mercy. Meaning, it's not the attitude, yeah, I'm sorry I did it, but I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. No, it's, I'm sorry I did it, and I never want to do it again. So confess there. Greg Laurie shared this on the radio recently. He said, like, okay, after church, we're going to go out for burgers. Now, I've lost half of you vegans already, but you're missing out. Just saying. <laughs> So we're going to go out for burgers, this new killer burger place. And you sit down, I eat my burger, and I go, this is fantastic. You eat your burger, this is fantastic. We just confess. We just agreed. We agreed like I started it and go, hey, yes, I agree. So with sin, confessing sin says, God says, this is sin. When I confess, I go, yes, I agree with you. Not on how good a burger tastes but how bad sin is, and I get it, I did it. I confess, would you please forgive me? So Nicodemus, he went public. You'll find out more at the, after, at the, uh, the resurrection. All right, so in John three sixteen, that person says, yeah, yeah, I know that verse, I know that verse. Remember I said, I seriously doubt that. I don't think anyone has really known that verse, unless you've given up your son. Has God removed his protection from your life? Are you realizing that, man, these things were always around me, but they never affected me. It was always somebody else or on the news, and now it's me, it's in my house, it's in my address. Has he removed his protection, or even worse, has he moved, removed his demonic warfare protection? If so, he's just drawing you to himself. So it's like the spirit, like the wind, wherever he blows. And we sang about this. I love how Sarah set up that song. Holy Spirit come, and creation started. And here we are. He's drawing us unto the self. The Spirit is moving amongst us. It's time to respond to him. God makes your promise today. Eternal life. You know, we, Tyler, can we sing, can we close in prayer?